me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Green Grass and White Paces podcast. We're super excited to have Rutgers alum, current Milwaukee Brewers organization pitcher, Brian Fitzpatrick with us today. Fitzy, it's good to have you on. We appreciate you joining us. And uh, just to go over some of your bio, man, some pretty impressive stuff. Varsity ball player at St. Anthony's High School in Long Island, played travel ball for the Long Island Titans. Um, your parents, Mary and John, large Fitz, as he's affectionately known, um, awesome wow. friends of the program, great people to be around. So I'm sure we'll get into a little more of, uh, of your background with them. Um, your dad playing basketball at Buffalo, so you're coming from an athletic family, especially with four older sisters who've all competed in D1 athletics. Just to give you guys a uh, just to give you guys some background about just how good Fitzy is. Um, obviously, he's pitching for the Brewers now, so that's a big deal. Tenth round draft pick um, this past summer, but in four years or three years at Rutgers, competing off of some injuries that I'm sure we'll we'll touch on later. But the ability to come back through that adversity, 23 appearances in his career with seven starts and uh, 46 innings pitched with 59 strikeouts. So those are some baseball numbers that just don't lie to you if you know what we're talking about from the pitching side and from uh, from a baseball perspective. Putting that in context um, is pretty pretty impressive stuff. So um, that's my introduction for you, Fitzy. I hope I did you justice. And if you just want to provide us with some more background that I might have missed, it'd be good to hear. Uh, you did a pretty good job there, Biggie. But, um, yeah, I mean, I uh, you know, four great years at Rutgers uh, – two of them on the sidelines partially because of COVID and the other part because of some unfortunate injuries. But uh, yeah, I started my, started my baseball career out here on Long Island and that's where I am now, you know, back home for the holidays have been uh, rehabbing another injury that I, uh, you know, have been bestowed upon myself. Not, not really a, not really a fun one, just kind of a nerve type deal, but back home and uh, really happy to be back home. But, Heading back to Arizona in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and um, going to try and rehab and get ready for spring training. And goal is to break t- break camp with a team. But um, yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with uh, with everything you said there. So uh, not much for me to do. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you know, obviously battling an injury now. Um, just shed some light on it. I know, I know, you and I have been been around each other a, a ton these past five or six years now, yeah. and. And I've certainly yeah. been able to uh, have the privilege to firsthand see how hard you've been able to work to come back from those injuries, both with uh, with TJ early on in your college career and then with the uh, with the foot injury that happened to you this this spring. Mm-hmm. But just talk about what that process is like for you to be able to compete at such a high level coming off injuries like that and what what it takes to battle back. Yeah. So, I mean, injuries, I mean, as you know, they're just a part of the job description when you're you know, when you're in athletics, you understand that you're signing up for uh you're signing up for the possibility that you could get injured and um, you have to be able to handle that and guys handle it differently. And, you know, when I was, I'm going to be honest, you know, in my younger days, and you remember this when I was a freshman, you know, it was, it was, a, it was very difficult. You know, I, you were a junior and uh, you know, you were obviously a huge help, but you know, freshman year got TJ on my first, you know, career college start was uh, you know, it was really, really, big deal for me it was so nervous so excited felt great throughout my 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 warm-up and then you know third pitch of the game ended up blowing out my arm and that adversity was a whirlwind to me you know being away from home being injured and you know not really feeling what feeling like I was useless to the team and it, it was really hard as a young ball player to kind of cope with that but you know it taught me so many life lessons you know not only in baseball but just like how to just keep battling through and you know, Theodore Roosevelt always said, you know, when you're going through hell, keep going. 
And um, it wasn't really hell, if you know what I mean. It was more just, a, you know, heavy adversity that you had to that you had to get through. And then really taught me how to get through my senior year injury. You know, with the foot, I, I ended up fracturing it one day in uh, in the fall. And then, you know, I rehabbed, got better and was doing well in the season. You know, I, I think my last start before I got hurt again was against Nebraska Omaha. Went five innings, I think six strikeouts, had a good outing and then came back home. We had Penn state first weekend of, you know, big 10 play. And, you know, I ended up just being in the weight room and was just jumping rope. And then next thing, you know, I freaking fractured my foot again. And, um, you know, wasn't ideal at all, but battled back and, you know, it could have, could have went differently. I'm sure. And maybe if I had more innings, I, who knows where I'll be, but I'm really, really happy where I am right now. And everything definitely happens for a reason. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think I think like we talked about just, you know, if 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 nothing else, it's important to see that when when adversity has hit you in your career, you've been able to bounce back so effectively from it and to still continue to be successful. So I think, you know, like you said, injuries are a part of the game. And just to show that, you know, you can you just like anybody else can can bounce back and, and be extremely successful on the back end of that is something that's important for guys to take note of. So we've been able to develop a relationship personally through our time at Rutgers. So um, what I yeah. want to lead you off here is, is to, is to uh, bust your stones a little bit. And uh, I remember you coming in as a freshman, being this big lanky left-hander that threw 84 miles an hour, asking me on the elevator one day, if, if I thought you were going to get cut after fall practice. And now you're a, you're a 10th round draft pick oh, and yeah. playing pro ball. So what, um, there's a couple notes I have here just on like what it what it took for you, what kind of work you put in to, to develop from that guy that was 84 as an 18 year old to now 94 as a 22 year old. And then just just how how Rutgers played a part in your development from coming in like that as a freshman, the impact that different coaching staffs had on you. And then uh, and, you know, just kind of shed some light on what what a college college career in, in on the baseball field looks like. So, I mean you know, as well as I do that my freshman year, I, I came in, I, I mean, it's so different now. Like when, when I was in high school, like I, I didn't pick up a weight. Like I didn't, I didn't lift. I didn't know what a weight room was. I, I never knew. I didn't squat. Like I was just like, like, Hey, like I got baseball on Saturday. Like my dad would drop me off at the field. I'd, I'd warm up, I'd huck some baseballs and then I, <laughs> I'd go home. That was that I didn't do bands or any any of that any of that which is really really important you know now but um I came in and then yeah you know the the coaching staff before the ones at Rutgers now was you know Phil Kinderi was our pitching coach and you know Phil was a very very old school hard-nosed coach and very very respectable in his own right now with the Blue Jays and he was you know he really really got on me and um and looking back on it like as an 18 year old you're there like you know, why is this guy getting on me so much? Like, I don't understand. And then it's just there, like, he just is trying to get the most at me, you know, and he knows that I could be, he, he saw it before everybody else, I guess, that I could be doing this for, you know, a career, which is kind of crazy that he was able to see that. But um, yeah, I mean, he would, he would be on me all the time. I was obviously a preferred walk-on. I didn't have any scholarship money. And, you know, I would, I confided in you and the older guys a lot because you guys were just so welcoming and I think that that's really important. And every team needs guys like, like you. And I mean, all of our buddies like Dan and all the guys that we saw last weekend at Rutgers, just, you know, they were so vital to, I think all of our success. And, um, 
you know, college baseball is, you know, college baseball is a grind. And I will say this, like college baseball is like, you, you really, you really, you know, you, you show yourself how much you love the game because like, I mean, especially our freshman and sophomore year, man, I mean, we were waking up in the fall at like six and then we'd, we'd be getting there six at the latest. We were waking up more like five 30 because we had lift at, at seven and then we'd lift from seven to eight and then we'd have practice from 10 to one and then we'd go to class and then we'd get back from class, have to do homework, go to bed by like 10, 10 30. And then we're doing it over again. And we did that six days a week for however many months it is, two, three months. And then once the season starts, then there's like, there's no, there's no real free time outside of that little four week span. It is in between Thanksgiving and Christmas that, you know, you're just, you're just, you're constantly, you're going, you're going, you're going. And, um, and pro ball is very similar to that. And, when you play the level of baseball that we played in college, it really does prepare you, you know, not only for professional baseball, but I mean, you can speak on it too, like in, in the real world now as, as a coach and, you know, it, it, like it definitely prepares you for, for real world stuff. And um, it's, it's truly remarkable. Like when you look back at 18 year old me and sort of like, you know, he has a good change up. He, he has a, he has an 84 mile an hour heater, but you know, can't really run that fast you know he's he's like not really athletic at all and it's like the only thing that remained consistent from then to now is that I I truly I just love the game of baseball like I I you know like everybody's there like you know you're doing it so much how do you how do you how does it not how does it not you know dwindle and it's sort of like well like you, you you look you look at the game one of two ways you look at it as something that you're doing for a job or something that you're doing to get an education are you looking at as like this is what I want to be doing and I feel like you and I have that in common like you're still very very much involved in the baseball world and like we know many many people we're not going to name names but we know many people who played with us that were phenomenal players that are just like you know I just I can't I can't do it anymore like I've, I've had enough and you know it's um it's never wavered ever and I don't feel like it's wavered for, for you either. And a lot of our buddies don't think it's wavered either, but you got to love, it. you got to love. It. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, in, in our first episode of the, of the podcast here, we talked about what that have to versus the get to mentality does and how much mm -hmm. fun has to be a part of the game. Even as you continue to go up the levels where we have to take it more seriously, like you're saying, we, we, we had a conversation about how the grind compares to how much you love it. And I think mm -hmm. like you're talking about, we have a couple of friends or a couple of guys that we've all played with over the years where they're really good at it, but they just don't love it. And I think a, a big separator that that occurs mm -hmm. that allows you to get to the level you've had is that you love the game. And I think I think that's an important piece, especially these days with how all the metrics and the rankings and the social media stuff comes to be a part of it. The, the piece that often gets overlooked yeah. is just how important it is to have fun and enjoy the game and, and appreciate, uh, you know, everything that it provides for us. Um, and along similar Absolutely. lines, we're talking about fun. So um, something I tell my guys all the time when I'm working with pitchers is I always go back there. I don't get catchers for my, for my lessons or for my bullpens. I sit on a yoga ball and I catch them myself. Yeah. And when kids don't mm -hmm. let it eat, I say, is that really all you got in the tank? And I've heard so many times, well, coach, I don't want to knock you over. And I reference you all the time because we used to catch each other's short boxes at Rutgers. And I said, listen, you, go, you guys don't understand. My throwing partner and the guy I'd catch for in college is a big 95 mile an hour throwing left hander. So if you knock me over, 
I'm gonna have to give him a call and let him know someone's <laughs> taking his spot. We uh we you know we we with with that stuff man like that that's the fun of it like that was that was a blast like I I used to look forward to doing that stuff you know like that like that's that's the whole fun of the game for me it's like yeah I'll like I'll throw on a catcher's glove and I'll I'll try and I'll try and catch freaking Garrett French's 84 <laughs> mile an hour slider with a 93 freaking heater like of course like I'm gonna try and like why why wouldn't I try and do that and it's like. Like that's why people love coaching and stuff like that. It's like you get to do stuff like that, and it's it's like you're a kid, which is awesome. But you're 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 coaching. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I know it it applies to like how how our college careers went in a respect because it, at the college level that we were at, like we certainly have pitching coaches, and we went through a number of them while we were at Rutgers, and they were all awesome guys that provided us a bunch of information from a bunch of different lenses. <laughs> but I think too, it was cool to be in a setting where we could talk to each other and we were familiar enough with each other's mechanics that we were able to kind of develop our craft in a, in a sense where you can get after it at the professional level now, because we've had so many conversations about mechanics and how to pitch. And it's, yeah. it's been really valuable for me as a coach now to be able to say like, well, this might not have been something I did, but this is something, something that I talked about with Fitzy when I was 19 years old, that, that I can apply to you as a, as a high school player now. And I exactly. think, I think exactly it, as you're it's saying. Still, it's still that still remains that still remains true because like you know that all like we'll like we'll still we'll still like hang out and like I'll be showing you film and be like hey like what do you see here or like like because it's like or like I'll I'll probably like when I'm throwing bullpens again like I'll probably throw bullpens in front of you and you're gonna be like well like I see this this and this and like you used to do this this and this and I want I, like you should you should get back to that because that was really really good. And so on and so on. So it's like, like coaches can't be the end all and be all for players or because if it was, then it's just like, you're just wasting your time. You know, you gotta, you gotta be able to confide in your teammates and trust them because especially your buddies that you've been playing with. I mean, you're in the travel ball industry now. Like, like when I was in travel ball, I used to, I played with the same group of guys from when I was like 11 years old until I went to college. So it's like, those guys are seeing you play and they've seen your journey through the whole time. Like you got to be able to have some trust and some feel in your teammates to be like, Hey, like, what did you see there? What was different? Or like, like we would be, we'd get in the dugout and it's like, we, first off last year, a little bit of a tangent here, but last year at Rutgers was probably the best offensive lineup. I think I've ever been a part of. Yeah. I mean, just impressive to watch those guys mash last year. Yeah. I mean, and you've, you've played with, you played with a majority of those guys and you were at a majority of the games. It's just there. Like when we get in the dugout, they're constantly just chatting with each other, trying to pick up things and what they see. And Hey, I saw like, he's, 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 his slider's a ball, his slider's a ball or like his fastball in, like you can just spit on it because he's not, he's not even coming into you or like little things like that, that they, that little nuances that you pick up throughout the game, and like you heard that constantly, and it's like you wonder why that team was so good. It's because like all those guys were so bought into helping each other that it was like like Coach Kyle and Coach O and like Monty, like those guys were almost like secondary to the players. Where it's like if they needed to go to the coaches, they would go to them. But like they would be like Mike, Dan, Brito, Ryan, like all those guys, like they would just freaking like go to them and they'd chat it out and then next thing you know it's like we just put up 15 runs on a weekend and then like we're just cruising yeah and I think that's really important to note because I know what we tell a lot of our travel guys at our level is just that 
what we do at practice is really important and we hope we get it right. That's our job as coaches. And we're always here to help you, but we stress to them all the time that the, the most important ingredient is the work you're doing on your own time, right? Practice time, <laughs> game time, that's our time. And we're definitely here to help you. But the best way to improve as a ball player is to get that work done and get extra work done on your own time. And mm -hmm. I mean, it, it paints the picture. You're telling it, you're telling that story without it even being brought up. So it really paints the picture of just how like that plays in real life as much as our guys hear it a hundred times a day. And just the last note Absolutely. I had here before we, before we move on was I was going to, I was going to bring up how, you know, just like you're talking about you guys getting after it in the dugout and just how important of a piece that is. Like you were always the guy that had the most energy. Everybody heard you in the dugout. And even when, you know, when someone was up, they knew Fitzy was behind them. When someone was down, they know Fitzy was behind them. So I just, you know, it kind of brings that, it kind of puts a bow on the whole thing where it's like your dugout energy is really important. Your relationship with your teammates is important. What you're doing on your own and the, and the work you're putting in outside of when a coach can see you or a coach is talking to you, turns you into a better ball player. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, Eric, I kind of like you and I were kind of very two peas of the same pod there because like, both of our dugout energies were very, very similar. And I mean, like baseball is a hard game, man. Like this is not like, this is not an easy game on both sides of the ball. Like it's, it's really, it's really not an easy game. And like, when you know that you got your teammates behind you, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make it any easier, but it just helps. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you're on the mound, like when you're on the mound at Baton and you hear, and you hear me like screaming, like, cheering you on and stuff and vice versa like it doesn't make the execution of the pitch any easier but knowing that you got people behind you and it's not just either dead quiet or you don't have confidence in them like it it makes it gives you the freedom to to execute what you have to do a lot easier you know what i mean it gives that For freedom sure. is easier the execution isn't but the freedom to do it makes it a little bit easier you know what i'm saying Absolutely. And that's just an added yeah. benefit to being like that good energy guy is, you know, like you want to be in a position to pick your guys up when they need you. And then on the flip side, whether you're asking for it or not, the guys always end up being behind you because they know yeah. when, when they need you, you're going to be there. So then when you need them, like I said, whether it's solicited or not, they want to pick you up too, just for having that presence. Just, and, just to, and just to just like to piggyback off of that in college, it's a little bit different. Like we both played with Ryan Lasko in center field who would, run his freaking face into a wall to make a play for us, no matter who was on the mound. But like in pro ball, when you do that now, like just to kind of translate it into the professional game, you know, when you're cheering guys on like that, like maybe, maybe he's going to help me. Maybe he's going to help me when I'm on the mound and he's going to, you know, like, Hey, he was, he was behind me. Like he's going to go, like, I'm going to go make a play for him when he's on the mound. You know what I mean? Just little things like that. Like knowing that, you know, you got your teammates back. It's like, all right. Like our shortstop, like, this this past year was you know just great ball player very like just a low energy guy like just a low energy guy but like when when he would when when we left he was like man like you always had like you always were cheering me on man like I, I would always try and make that play for you like when you were on the mountain I was like no like I appreciate that because like that's the whole purpose of me trying to get behind you like I just want you to play better you know what I mean like I'm not I I just want to bring you up keep the energy high you know what I'm saying absolutely and and Along those yeah. same lines, there's a number of different ways to go about it, right? Danny DiGiorgio might not be, might not be, you know, screaming and yelling in the dugout, and he might not be chirping the way the way you and I would from the from the dugout. But nevertheless, the kid is a ball player. 
right? With some oh, awesome yeah. abilities who goes about his business the right way and, and works his ass off on the baseball field and in the weight room and with everything that goes with it. So there's a number of different ways to do it, but I think the message is the mm-hmm. same that if you can, if you can be a good energy guy, whether it's high or low energy and you can be a good teammate and the game means something to you, then good things are going to happen to you and, and you're going to be in the right position. So from that, I know I heard you start talking about pro ball a little bit there. So I think it'd be awesome for our audience to hear just what your draft process looked like. So talk to us about, I know after your third year at Rutgers, you, uh, you started getting some calls on draft day, you ended up staying for that extra year and then great things happened for you um, in round 10 of the draft this summer. So just take us through like what it looks like to, to go through that back-to-back years, shed some light on like those scout meetings that you have with those big league scouts um, as you're going through your college. Yeah. And that, that leading up to the draft process, what does that look like? Yeah, it's different for everybody. You know, obviously I'm incredibly grateful and blessed that I did get drafted and I got drafted in the 10th round on day two. Like that, that was, it's incredible. It's a dream come true, obviously, but like, my draft process is much, much different than like a first rounders draft process where it's like first rounders, it's like all 30 teams have reached out to them, all 30 teams, they've had meetings with them, but pretty much backtracking now, like my junior year, I mean, you remember the season that I had, it was very much a disappointment, like 17 and two thirds. I went, had like a six eleven ERA, had a decent, decent strikeout to inning ratio, but like just, gave up way too many runs, too many silly mistakes. It all kind of boils down to the fact that I really wasn't working as hard as I should have. And I, I didn't, I was, you know, I was a young ball player and I, I was coming off injury and that's not an excuse. That's just an experience. And I didn't understand kind of what was at stake, not only for myself, but the team. And I, you know, I, I should have, I should have done a lot better than I did. And, um, you know, we had, we had a very good team that year and we could have been a lot better, you know, with the all big 10 schedule, it was not easy. We would have been in the big 10 tournament if, if there was one, but you know, it was, it was not an easy year um, as far as, you know, the restrictions that we had and everything. And, you know, just having a disappointing year on top of it, it wasn't good. I was ignorant to that, to me not having a good year until I had my exit meeting with coach O and, um, you know, Coach O, like, he's he's going to tell you how it is, and he doesn't care if it hurts your feelings or not. And yeah, there's no doubt. Thankfully, I, I really didn't flinch at it. Like, I wanted him to tell me, you know, tell me the truth. And he just kind of said, he was just there like, you know, you throw 91 to 93 miles an hour, you're a junior, you're draft eligible, you know, you should be a lot better than you are right now. Like, he's like, your slider isn't very good. He goes, your changeup's good, but it's not in the zone, so pro players aren't going to swing at it. He goes, you have good fastball. And he goes, you have good energy. He goes, those are the two positives. But other than that, he was like, you're really, you're not a very good college baseball pitcher. That word for word, what he said. And I was there like, wow, like that puts things in perspective. He goes, I want you to go to the Cape. And he goes, I don't want you to give up a run. He goes, you sh- your goal should be not to give up a run. So from that day forward, my four goals in baseball, especially on the mound was, I don't want to give up any runs. I want to be one, two after three pitches in every at-bat. I don't want to walk anybody, and I don't want to give up any extra base hits. And if I can do my best to control those four things on the mound, I feel like I'm going to be in a really, really good spot to win the game. So I, I wrote those four things down, and I put them in my sock drawer so that every single day when I had to open my drawer and get some socks, I'm looking right at it, and it's just staring me in the face, and that's the goal. So – I would lift, I was lifting five days a week. I would take two days off the day before I would pitch and the day of pitching, I wouldn't lift. 
And I was lifting five days a week in the Cape. And that first year in the Cape, I went one and oh with 23 and a third innings pitched, 32 strikeouts, like a one nine three ERA. I had a great summer and it really prepared me, you know, for the next year. But, you know, my agent, Joe Rosen, who's phenomenal with Icon Sports, truly just a gem of a guy. He uh, he goes on day, day two ends. And I'm thinking at this point, like, I mean, you and I would talk every day like we still do. We talk every day he calls me and he goes, Hey, like the Dodgers are interested in you for day three for slot for 125." And he goes, and I think you should say no. And I hear that. And I'm there like, I, I really don't want to say no. Like I, 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 I like, like this is, this is my dream, man. Like this is like, if I have the opportunity to go, I want to go. And he said, no, like you can get, you can get more money than that. Like, I want you to go back to school. Like you should go back to school, finish your degree, have an awesome year and be a lock. And I got drafted, but I, I mean, as you know, I was in my head, nowhere near a lock because I had the foot injury. I only, only threw 23 innings in the school season. And, you know, I had 28 strikeouts, 23 innings, had a great outing against Indiana to end the school season. And um, I was the furthest thing from a lock in my head. And then my end of the year meeting coach O goes, you got a lot better. You worked a lot harder, but he goes, I still think you should come back. And like, it's still going to be there for you at the end of it. If you're going to be a senior sign, because that's what I thought it was going to be. I thought I was just going to be a fourth year senior sign and start my career that way. And then I got on the phone with my agent again. And at that time he was my advisor and he goes like, listen, he's like, nothing's a guarantee. He goes, I think it's 50, 50, you get drafted or you get signed. He goes, you have to, you have to go and do it in the Cape again. He was like, you're going to, he goes, I know it's hard. He goes, I know you don't want to do it, but like, you got it. You got to go to the Cape and you got to do it again if you want to get drafted. And I said, all right, like, that's, that's fine. Like, I'll just, I'll just do it again. We still had the same four goals. And uh, this past summer in the Cape, I ended up going 19 innings pitched, 19 strikeouts, zero earned runs with two walks and 11 hits and no extra base hits. So all of my goals outside of being, all of my goals outside of being one, two after three of every at bat were achieved. And then I still, to the day, man, I mean, you remember I called you on the day, but to the day, I still didn't know I was going to get drafted. I'm sitting there with my phone. My whole family is in the living room. Like I have balloons and I'm there like, this is freaking embarrassing. Like I have a draft party here and I'm not going to get drafted. And like the sixth round goes by, then the seventh round comes about. And then my agent calls me and he goes, the angels are trying to pick up people's dirty laundry. Like they want you for 25 to 30,000 seventh round. He's, I, and he said, I think your answer should be absolutely no. Like you are worth way more than that. Like you should, you should definitely say no. And um, I did. And I did. And I was really, really, I, I was going to be like, I really hope I don't regret this. And um, you know, the whole day goes by and there's like 25 picks left in the 10th round. And my best buddy comes over and they're like, man, like I, Mike Neese, Mike Neese, he comes over and I'm there like, man, like I really wish he wasn't coming over right now. Like, this is pretty embarrassing. And I still haven't, I still hadn't thrown that day yet. So I, I still haven't gotten my thrown in, still haven't gotten my workout in. And uh, I go, Mike, like we got 25 picks left. Like, let's, let's get the hell out of here, man. Like, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I just want to go work out and go on with my day. And then hopefully I get drafted tomorrow. And then I get a call from Steve DeTrolio, who was the uh, regional scout in Jersey for the Brewers. As I'm walking out the door, I'm walking up the steps to go to my car. And he calls me and he goes, this is Steve DeTrolio of the Milwaukee Brewers. Do you want, do you want to go in the 10th round? And I go, yeah, I want to go in the 10th round. Like, absolutely. I run in there and then my, 
this is kind of the unknown part of the story. My agent goes, I want to try and get you as much money as you can. Let's see if they take you here. If not, like, we'll go tomorrow and we'll try and get the slot value. And I go, okay, like, like, just let me know. And then I didn't like, that's the misconception. Like I had no idea I got picked up until I saw my name on TV. And then I saw my name on TV and everybody goes nuts. And it's, it's really just a crazy, crazy day. And it was awesome, man. It was truly, well, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. But I mean, that's kind of my draft process. And, you know, the story is different for everybody, but the ups and downs remain consistent with everybody's story. It's like, you know, if you're a first rounder, you definitely weren't a first rounder, you know, five years ago, or maybe you were, but like everybody's story is just completely different, which is kind of reminiscent of baseball in a way, you know, just how everybody's journey to get to where they are now is just completely different, but everybody's achieving the same goal. Right. Without a doubt. I think like, like it's uh, it's similar to what we were saying before that there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Right. There's a bunch of different yeah. guys that play this game and everybody's story ends up being different. I just remember on that draft day, as much as you were checking your phone, I'm looking down at my phone waiting for the call from Fitzy every couple minutes. And then it finally comes in, I'm in the car down the shore and Fitzy goes draft party at my place right now. And I'm like, <laughs> well, that's it. That's a two and a half hour drive. And it's already about four o'clock in the afternoon. So yeah, definitely, man. Definitely still a little upset I wasn't able to make it up there, but man, man, we, oh, were, we were pumped for you, dude. We were pumped for you. And I think, awesome. I think in you telling that story, it's just, it's kind of interesting because I think how the whole major league draft process works compared to how it works in different sports is so completely different. Oh my and gosh. I think, I think that's because an area there's of our 20 game. Rounds. Exactly. Yeah. That's an area yeah. of our game that not yeah. a lot of guys like know a ton about. Yeah. yeah. And like the general, the general public thinks like, and like, listen, there's nothing wrong with how baseball is perceived. It's a beautiful game. But like, like people just think that it's like, oh, like he had a good year. So now he gets drafted. It's like, no, like you see guys, you see guys that just had horrible years that like guys are willing to take it. Like organizations are willing to take a chance on where it's like you look at the NBA and the NFL draft. It's like, man, you got to be you got to have some numbers behind you. You know what I mean? Like you got like you got to really really show out but like if they see potential in you especially in baseball like they are going to take a chance on you they're going to pay you you know what i mean like remember jp massey got drafted in the seventh round from minnesota and he did not have a good year but let me tell you that guy's stuff is probably the most electric in the big 10 and very well had the potential to be like big 10 pitcher of the year and all that like i mean you talk to our hitters about it they're like who gave you the most trouble? And it was like Massey when he was in the zone, it wasn't even close. So it's like, they're willing, they're willing to take shots on guys like that, where it's like, you look at the NBA, you look at the NFL, it's like, they're getting accomplished guys that are, that are really, really good ball players. And, and it's the draft, the draft is shorter, but like, you got to feel the team. So it's like, that's the misconception I think about baseball. And that's what makes it so beautiful is that you can have stories of guys that were like, yeah, man, like I played at some division two Juco, and I just, they saw something in me and they really, really wanted me. It's like, you never hear of like a division two Juco guy going in the first round of the NBA draft, man. <laughs> it's like, everybody's from Duke or from UNC and stuff like that. So it really is a whirlwind. Yeah. And I think that bodes well for our game. I know we talk at, at least at my level now about, you know, whether it's Rutgers Newark or how it applies to the travel level in high school is 
there's going to be people willing to take opportunities on you regardless of your circumstances. So as long as like we're talking about having the love for the game and getting after it and working hard, if you do those things and someone sees potential in you, you might not be the highest ranked guy on PBR or perfect game, but there's going to be someone out there that wants to take a chance on you. And I think that's really special when it comes to the professional level in our game is that like the, our dads say it all the time. I've heard them say it a bunch of times is if you're out there, they're going to find you. And yeah. I think that's what's really special about baseball is that it's never more true that in our sport that if you're if you're doing what you're supposed to do and you have the ability, somebody's going to find you and give you a chance. Exactly. And not only that, but like when when like, I mean, as you know, like, no, I've never been ranked. I don't even know what PBR is. Like, I don't even know any of that <laughs> stuff. Like, because it, it like it truthfully, it doesn't matter. It's so it's so you it's so elementary and like because like. I mean, we've played with guys that like no one's even heard of. And then like next thing you know, it's like you're not gonna outcompete, like you're not gonna outcompete like someone that's on our team. Like you're just not gonna do it. You know what I mean? So it's like all these rankings are just like they're they're very political and they're very like I like the biggest piece of advice that I could give young ball players now is to not even look at that stuff. Like if you even if you're even if you're number one, like don't let that get to your head at all because the one consistent you know, piece that you need to have, no matter how far up or down you go in this game, is that you got to really, number one, you got to, you got to really love it and you got to really work your tail off. If you want, if you want to have any type of recognition that's actually worth talking about, like that's, that's what you got to have. No doubt. Not, no not doubt. perfect game or PBR, you know? Right. There's no doubt about it. And I'm so glad that you said that because when we have conversations with our high school guys at the warehouse and we're talking about the recruiting process and going to college, the first thing they look at these days is where am I ranked? And <laughs> yeah. And like what I, like I, when I, told- I was in high school, when I was in high school, the only ranking I ever had was like this long, like Long Island Titans did their rankings of like their, their, their blue chip prospects is what they call them. So it's like on blue chip prospects, like, from zero to like 150, it was like, I was like 49th and I was listed as like a first baseman and I was listed as like a first baseman, a pitcher. And it was like, you know, switch hitter doesn't really have a lot of juice, big body could be good. And then it was like the next year I wasn't even, I wasn't even mentioned. So it's like, all right, like why, like, I'm not gonna let that affect me. You know what I mean? And it's like the kid who was number one, the kid who was number one, like committed to like a huge school. And now he's, at a freaking baseball you know what i mean so it's like none of that stuff matters at all right and i was i was saying the same thing i had a conversation with a kid the other day who's he's more than likely going to be a big time college prospect once he once he gets a little further along in his high school career and i was saying i just went back and looked at my rankings from my high school class and they had me at 86th in the state and like (laughs) and like outside the top 1000 nationally and, you know, not, you know, I'm not, I'm not here tooting my own horn because listen, I'm here conducting this interview as a, as a coach and you're playing pro ball. All I'm saying is I was, I still had an opportunity to play division one baseball and, you know, maybe because I didn't go to as many showcases as the next guy and I didn't spend money at these events. I don't know, but the ranking was what it was and the opportunity was still mm-hmm. there. So whether it's considering how we have opportunities in our game at a, at a higher level, because of the the numbers or whatever that there's always an opportunity for you or (laughs) you know just how not so applicable these these showcases are and these rankings are to your success and uh, the levels you're able to attain 
So Fitzy, we've had a, we've had a ton of conversation so far about what college baseball looks like, what your recruiting process was like, and the the next thing I'm interested in, and I, I hope you can share with with the audience here is what what does pro like what does pro ball look like? I think everybody has that dream where that's where they want to mm-hmm. end up, and now that you're in it, like what's what kind of talent level are you around? What kind of work is required? Everything from like how how your living situation is set up. Give us a look sure. at a day in your life. And uh, I know you've talked a little bit to me about getting to work out with Corbin Burns and some other big leaguers and Willie Adamas and, uh, and Ashby yeah, and yeah, those yeah. guys. So just kind of give us, give us the full perspective as much or as little as you want to share with what a day in your life as a pro ball player looks like and how cool it's been. Absolutely. So like, I feel like the best way that I can describe professional baseball, especially at the level that I am, like, you get drafted and then you go right to the, you go right to the Arizona complex league. It's called the ACL. And uh, that's pretty much rookie ball. And that's, that's the only level that I've played at so far in pro ball, because this last start that I, that I had was when I injured my nerve. And um, the next day I was supposed to be going up to low a to, to finish out the year there. But um, I only play, I've only played in the ACL, but the best way I can really describe it is like, it's like real world baseball, if that makes sense you, you create these friendships like you and I, and, and all of our other friends where it's like, those are like your brothers, you know what I mean? Like you, you'd freaking take a bullet for those guys, you know? And it's like, you have that for four years or however long you're in college and it's, it's awesome. And no one's bigger than the team. And it's like, everybody has the same goal. And it was like, for us, it was like, we wanted to get to the NCAA tournament. We wanted to make some noise. And it was like, win the big 10 and then make some noise in the NCAA tournament. We came close. We fell up short. But that's neither here nor there. But that was that was our goal as a team where it's like in pro ball, it's like everybody kind of has their separate goals. So it's like I have my own goals and it's like the guy next to me, my locker buddy might have a different goal. And it's like everybody's just kind of out for themselves. And it's like, for example, it'll be the third inning and we'll be playing a game and 3-0 count team that we're playing against is down to we're up to. And three oak count, if you groove one, like it's it's gonna get swung at. Like like guys are trying to get their stats up because much like the college process, all it takes is for you to impress one guy and then you're moving back up there. Like you're moving up to the next level. All it takes is for you to impress one guy. So, you know, that part of it's a lot different. And it's like I'm around guys that like that have children and I'm around guys that have young families and guys that have wives, where it's like in college, it's like that is that is not that is not the case whatsoever and um you know that that's that part of it's really different but um I can kind of give you a little bit of insight like rehab wise of what I'm going through now every day and then like what it was like in season so in season you know I would in season like it's, it's the, the perception is like everybody like, all right, we just pro baseball players. Like we show up at the ball yard an hour before the game, we play the game then we go home where it's like, that couldn't be further from the truth. So say we have a six o'clock game against the guardians, right? Where like, that was, that was, that was a game that we had this year. We have a six o'clock game against the guardians. We, we get to the facility at like nine. We eat breakfast at nine 30 intake is at 10. So we get told what to do at 10. And then activations at 1030. So it's like we activate, we stretch. And then like, if you're not pitching that day, you throw, you have practice, you have D. And then it's like, you go inside. If you have a bullpen, you go through a bullpen, then you go inside for lunch. 
and then you eat lunch. And then if you have lift, you go lift. And it's like after your lift and you're done with everything, if you're not playing that day, like you just shower, get in your uniform and then go down to the field, watch the game then go back up and throw your stuff on your loop and get out of there. But say I'm, say I'm pitching. I wouldn't do any of the, I wouldn't do any of the activation in the morning. Like I would probably like, if I had my car, like I show up for a six o'clock game and I would, I was starting like, I'd show up at around like four-ish, get something, uh, not four-ish, I'd show up at around like 2.30-ish and get something in my belly, eat up, and then I would, uh, you know, just chillax in the locker room, maybe take a shower before the game, and then I would start, I mean, I'd start my activation at around six o'clock game, I'd start around 4.50, I'd get stretched out um, with the trainers, and then I'd do my activation that I've had since I was a sophomore in college. And then I'd go pitch the game and then right after it, like this is, this is the biggest difference from pro ball and, uh, and college baseball is as soon as you're done pitching, like you go, you do your arm care, you go get your lift in and then like you shower and then like you go home and like, you don't need to watch, like you watch the rest of the inning if you got taken out in that inning, but like that, that's the biggest difference. It's like, you, you go, you go do your arm care and then you go get your lift in. And then like after your lift, yeah, you, you go to the locker room, you, you take your shower and then it's like you pack up your bags and you leave. And it's like still the seventh inning. You know what I mean? Like that, that part's, that part's totally different. And that's, that's a normal in season day. And we'd have one off day. The, the next kind of difference is like, I've kind of seen both sides of it. So it's like in college, I've seen what it's like to be a player and go through a rehab process multiple times. And now it's like, pro ball I saw what it was like to be a player at the rookie ball level and I saw what it's like to be a rehab guy where it's like I'm lifting with I'm lifting with Aaron Ashby and Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas Luis Urias all in the same room it's just like completely crazy because it's like you and I like we know everything about almost every major league team because we just watch the game so much and then like like the first time I was like doing a conditioning workout with Corbin Burns, I was there like, this guy, like, holy crap. Like this guy won the Cy Young last year. Like this, this guy's got some hardware at his house right now. And then like, they, they're just normal guys. Like they're just, they just couldn't be, they couldn't be nicer. They're just great, great guys. And um, the trainers there are great. And like you, you're around the big league trainers and you're around these guys and they just, the way that they go about their work, like, they work so freaking hard and like the public only sees what's on TV and they don't see the amount of work that the, like Corbin Burns is deadlifting 650 pounds. And in between that, he's doing like a 1500 pound sled carry as his like cool down. And they're like, like, all right, like there's no wonder why this guy's a Cy Young award winner. Like this guy's just a beast and he just wants it more than anybody else. And like the rehab process is, all right, I wake up at seven 30 in the morning I get there by like 8.30, 8.45, intakes at nine, I eat my breakfast. And then I am like going as hard as I possibly can from like 9.30 to like 11.30, which is the weight room. Like I'm, I'm, I am busting it, like doing everything that I'm supposed to do as hard as I possibly can. And being around those guys, like, I mean, you know that the nature that we grew up, that we grew up with as far as Rutgers, like we were trying, like we grew up with guys like Harry and Nooch and, and Dan and all these guys who could lift the freaking house. It's like, you try and keep up with those guys because those are your leaders. It's like kind of the same deal now where it's like, all right, that's the goal. Like, all right, that's the goal. Like I want to be a Cy Young award winner one day. Like I got to chase him and try and 
outdo what he's doing. And it's, it's not possible because he's, he's been doing it for so long, but like trying to keep up with those guys for two hours is pretty much the goal right now. And then from 1130 to 1230, I, I rehab, I do my arm care. I do everything that I have to do in the training room. And then I eat my lunch, I shower, and I go work at this golf store from 1.30 to 5.30, and I, I re-grip clubs, and I, uh, I, you know, put extensions on putters, and I bend shafts and all that good stuff, because obviously one of my great passions is, is golf as well, but, like, that's pretty much a day in the life, and then, you know, after after work, I eat my dinner, I, you know, watch, watch whatever's on TV, and then I, I go to bed, and I do it all over again. And truthfully, like everybody's like, don't you get sick of that? And it's just they're like, no, because you got to like look at things big picture when you're when you're when you're going through that kind of stuff. It's like you got to understand that, like, okay, like this kind of stinks right now, but like I'm going to be okay from this. I'm going to the injury is going to be put behind me at some point. And then, you know, we go from there kind of deal. Right. And I, I think you've proven to yourself so far in your career that when when adversity hits you in the injury category, you know how to bounce back from it. So I know um, I know you certainly yeah. have the confidence that you're going to be able to pick yourself up off the mat and get back to the, to the high level you're used to competing at. And if you know, if my word is any consolation to you, I definitely know that like you, you called me up and said you were hurt. And I was like, all right, well, what's the process look like? You've done this before. You can do it again. Like I have no. I have no doubts that you'll be able to you'll be able to get back to exactly where you want to go. What stands out to me from from what you're talking about there is I know you and I had a conversation recently about these guys like Corbin Burns and these big leaguers that are super successful. Like they're just people. Right. So like you're saying, yeah. all, we, all we get to see as fans is what's shown on TV, exactly as you said. So I think your perspective is awesome in that you kind of see how these guys are really good and you see the value in trying to keep up with them when you're in the weight room or when you're getting your work in on the field. But then you also have uh -huh. that understanding that, you know, what, what they're doing is not superhuman. What they're doing is not impossible to attain. Like it, with, with no. the perspective of I get to work out with these guys, that means I have the potential to get to their level. And I think, mm -hmm. especially from a, from a perspective that might help a younger guy just to say, Oh, I turn on the TV and I see Corbin Burns pitching on ESPN tonight that's awesome. But sometimes there's a disconnect between he's just a guy that grew up loving baseball the same way you do. And oh. that's something that's something that that we can accomplish if we have the ability to work as hard as he has to get up to a 600 pound deadlift and a 1500 pound sled carry. You know what I yeah. mean? So there's yeah. definitely dedication that's involved there. But the perspective is important that these are things that we can we can attain. Mm -hmm. And there's also that. there's also a fine line, you know, like Corbin Burns is a, is a, is a generational talent. Like you're not like, you're never going to like, you're, you're a pitching coach. So like you're never going to be like, all right, like you can throw 96 miles an hour. I'm going to teach you how to throw this 96 mile an hour cutter. Like, like Corbin Burns, like does a lot of that work on his own. Like, like no one, no one ever said like, Hey Corbin, like I'm going to teach you this 98 mile an hour cutter that moves about 17 inches and it's going to make you the best pitcher in the world. Like that, like, no one ever said that. Like that was all his own thing. So there's a line between like there are things that are very, very attainable, but at the same time, like we are, we you are who you are. You know what I mean? It's like you you got to understand that like you if you can do this, like it's like you are who you are because like 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 Lance McCullers said one time in an interview, he was like, I never lifted in high school. I just was able to throw 101 my senior year in high school. You and I both know that like, I'm not going to, I'm not throwing 101 right now. You know what I mean? Like you got to understand your limits, but at the same time, like 
if someone that has a lot of success is doing something that you know that you can do, you got to be able to do it. Like not everybody's going to be able to do like the Barry Bonds drill and like have his hand in a catcher's glove with a hundred and 20 mile an hour fastball coming in and go like this and catch it. You know what I mean? Like not everybody's going to be able to do that. And it's like, maybe, maybe like guys are looking at us when we were in college being like, man, like I can't do that. And so it's like that kind of perspective you need to keep like big picture because not everybody like this game is, this game is very grueling in that sense. Like not everybody can do like, not everybody can run a six, three sixty like Willie Adamas can do. You know what I'm saying? Like not everybody can do that, but what can you do? You can do the same drills that he's doing to get faster. You know what I'm saying? And then maybe, maybe you see where that takes you. Right. And I think the value in that is if the people, if the powers at BC potential in you, they're going to give you a shot. Right. So I think what, mm-hmm. what you're doing a great job of balancing there is if Corbin Burns or Willie Adamas or fill in the blank big leaguer is super successful, there's no reason I shouldn't try to emulate some of the stuff that they're doing. But by the same mm-hmm. measure, nobody is asking you to go be Corbin Burns. All they're asking you to do is be the best version of Brian Fitzpatrick that you can be. Like they see the potential exactly. in you and they want you to they want you to reach the maximum of that potential that they they gave you a shot for. So that's that's the idea I get from what you're saying is the, the objective is not to beat Corbin Burns. There's already one of him and it's going to be tough to find another one. The objective yeah. is to figure out what Corbin Burns does that works really well. Figure out what you do really well. You talked a bunch about your own routine. That's helped you be successful. And then how do you put those yeah. things together to find the best version of the player that you are? So I think that's awesome perspective. Man. Yeah. And then it, it ebbs and flows too, because you, you, you go through this game man, and, and you see what works for them. And then you try it out and say it works for you. Like that's what's so great about it. You know what I mean? It's not cut and dry whatsoever. Right. Right. And to that end, right. So to the pro ball level now, what stands out about the Brewers organization specifically to you? What, what have you enjoyed so far about getting into that organization and, and, and their operation? I, I love I love the player development and I love how seriously they take it because like the Milwaukee Brewers are not the New York Yankees. They don't have the same amount of capital, but they value their minor league system so much and they want their minor leaguers to be so good that you get guys like a Corbin Burns to come out of their system. You get guys like an Aaron Ashby, you get guys like a Freddie Peralta, you know, like those kinds of guys are just homegrown talent. And like, that's where baseball is going. And I really could not be happier about it. Like, you look at the Braves who, you know, growing up a Mets fan have killed our childhood, but you look at their, their model. It's, it's very similar. It's like they get all these homegrown guys and then they pay them. You know what I mean? And it's not the other way around. It's not like they're going fishing for other people's homegrown guys for them to pay. And that's the direction that baseball, like the Strohs are very good at it. The Braves are very good at it. The Brewers are trying to get to that status. And like, I feel like that's how it should be. You know what I mean? It's much like college where it's like, you know, I have nothing against people who go in the transfer portal, but like, like when, when, when we first got into school, it was like, there was no transfer portal. It's like, you were there. It's like, you were just, you kind of just had to hope that, things got better if you didn't like it. And if it didn't, then like you were still there anyway. And like when, when you're in a system where everything is kind of laid out for you and you just have to go out and execute it much like the brewers are putting out for me right now, 
it's, it's awesome. And it's awesome to know that you're cared about like that, which, which much like, like many college programs are starting to go that way too. It's like you, you care about these guys so much because you don't want them to leave. You just want them to stay there and get better and better and better and better. And then hopefully like they, like their whole thing is like, they want lifelong brewers. Like they want, they want guys that just want to be there and, and, and successfully like, because the brewers are one of the only organizations that have never won a world series yet. So like, that's one of my goals. I mean, yes, it's down the road, but like, like I got drafted by this organization. They took a shot on me. Like I want to, I want to work as hard as I can to make sure that the brewers can, can, can win a world series one day. And that's what I told the scouting director when he interviewed me, uh, not the scouting director, Detrolio in one of in his interviews at school, I was like, I want to, I want to, I don't care what organization I go to. I want to win a world series. Like that's like, that would be, that's my, because that's what you dream of when you're in your backyard. You know what I mean? Like you dream of playing in the world series. So the, the brewers are an incredibly, incredibly careful, like careful organization. Like they, they have so much care in their players, which is truly a blessing because like with my arm now, with my injury now, they have been nothing but amazing setting everything up and, you know, making sure that I'm okay and getting, getting to my doctor's appointments, getting so many different doctor's opinions and, you know, providing a really, really like thought out plan for me to get back on the field. So the, the brewer, it, it's, it's truly a blessing and I, I couldn't be happier with where I am. I'm so glad that you're in that position because I know you and I talked leading up to the draft and that was, I think we were on the phone for 20 minutes and 18 of it was you telling me how you wanted to go to a place with a really good player development system. And I, I just, it fires me up that you were able to, to land in a spot where the, the idea ideology seemed to match up perfectly where that's what the Brewers want. That's what big Fitzy wants. And so we can go to work and, and have that goal yeah. in a world series. And like you said, yeah, maybe it's down the road right now, but when you made those goals for yourself in the Cape, those were down the road too. And you were able to go ahead and accomplish all yeah. of those, by the way, I didn't bring it up before, but that second summer when you were talking about not wanting to go back to the Cape, just a FYI for you guys listening, Fitzy went ahead in that second summer and was Cape pitcher of the year. year. So I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up and give you a little shout out to that. And, but that's what sticks out to me, man. Like you made those goals, you were able to accomplish them. So if your goal is to win a world series, as much as that might be in the future right now, there's a lot of history back there that says you're going to be able to accomplish that. And just got to stay on the freaking field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know what, you know what, I'm sure that's, that's adding itself to your list of goals right now. So, you know, as mm -hmm. long as we're, as long as we're on the role of accomplishing them, then, then I think, I think you're going to be able to take care of business in that regard. I heard you talk about the Mets and us being Mets fans growing up. So absolutely, um, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about the Mets, but the first thing I, I want to bring up is, are you still allowed to be a Mets fan? Like, how does that go when you're, when you're at the facility and you're on campus there in Arizona? What does that look like? Do you have to dial that back a little bit? I mean, listen, everybody listening, you got to understand something about me. I, I am probably one of the most passionate Mets fans I think there ever has ever been. And everybody rags me for it because I like live and die by the Mets and they break my heart all the freaking time. But I mean, my whole, like their whole thing is, is like, like they obviously know, like you're, you're not like you, I didn't grow up in 
Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, I, I'm yeah. not, I, I'm not a brewer. I wasn't a Brewers fan. I love the organization and now being a part of it, it's, it's awesome. But, um, you know, I just, I would never, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not allowed to publicly endorse the Mets. Obviously I would never wear a Mets hat out ever again, obviously. Um, but do I still like want the Mets to do well? Absolutely. Except when they're playing the Brewers, I want the Brewers to beat them. Like, of course I was, I was rooting for the Mets and, and that, the, honestly, I was rooting for the Mets in the, uh, against the Padres in the wild card. They broke my heart again. Um, but, uh, you know, it, that, that part has been incredibly difficult because before I got drafted about like 75% of my wardrobe was just Mets stuff. I had like 15 Jose Reyes shirts, a Carlos Beltran shirt that like, I can't wear anymore. Alonzo McNeil, like, obviously like DeGrom's been my idol since I was 14 years old. Like it was, it's really hard to, to not support them anymore but then it's like all right like i'm growing up man like i want to be playing against them you know what i mean like now it's time to freaking make sure that our boys in uh in milwaukee are 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 really really doing well and kicking the mets ass because the mets are a team man where it's like their player development isn't bad because they have a lot of good talent that they've developed but now that big stevie's over there it's it's a lot of it's a lot of big spending and um you know that's awesome because the mets are going to be successful for a long time with that ownership and um, they're, they're, they're going to, they're going to be a great opponent for the Brewers in the future. And uh, I really, really hope that, you know, someday in the future, I, I get a start at city field and I can really take it all in because that's the ballpark that, you know, that and Shea are the ballparks that I grew up, like really, that's where I grew up. Like that's where I really loved, fell in love with the game and um, you know, those teams and, you know, meeting Jose Reyes when I'm five years old, out of Benny Hanna and then him becoming my favorite player for the rest of my life. Like, like I grew up like, like just like in long Island and, and loving the Mets. And it's quite hard. It's quite hard to, to not, you know, root for them as much, but uh, you know, at the same time, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, you know, awesome to, to be a part of the Brewers organization, but it's still really freaking hard to not want the Mets to just do awesome all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a little bit of separation of church and state there, if you will, right. Where you want to, you want to see the Mets yeah, succeed, exactly. but your, your main priority is competing against them and, and, you know, having, having the Brewers succeed both from a personal standpoint of you getting up through that organization. And then from seeing that big league club win games too. I mean, Hey, listen, I mean, you see my backdrop here. I got the, I got the <laughs> Chase stadium sign hanging <laughs> but, over me. But listen, don't get me wrong. Uh, the Mets will always have a special place in my heart. They always will. They're the reason why I love baseball in the first place. I remember my first game at Chase Stadium with my dad at the seats down the left field line, you know, right in front of the tarp. And the old ball boy, his name is Travis. He'd always get me balls. I still have like 50 baseballs up top in my room from, from just going to, going to Mets games all the time. And, and, and what's, what's awesome is like, now that the Mets are going to be so good for so long now because they're not afraid to spend money and they have new ownership and they, they really are focused on that. It's, it's going to be so awesome because like the Brewers are always going to be in the hunt because they always are. They're just a great organization and they're always going to figure out a way. They're like the Rays, you know what I mean? Like the Rays and the Guardians, they're just always going to figure out a way to get to the playoffs. And now that the Mets are going to be consistently in the playoffs, like, I, I like that. Like, that's the stuff that you dream about, right? Like you dream about, you know, either playing for or against the team that you grew up rooting for. 
and uh, in big moments. So that's that's definitely going to be so much fun in years to come. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think I think you got a good head on your shoulders and you got a good perspective about it there. And and it, it, it's cool yeah. to see. It's cool to see how that how that's developed. I mean, especially now, it might give you a little more hope. I know you and I spent many a night sitting there with our head in our hands after watching the Mets game in uh, in the Birchwoods apartments. But um, oh, my gosh, what what I want to touch on here before uh, before we end up on a different subject is. I know, speaking of spending many nights watching the Mets, you and I have had a ton of conversation about if Johan Santana's no-hitter really counted. Um, oh, with that, man. With that, with that Carlos Beltran shot down the line that was fair and got called foul. So, listen, as a Mets fan, if I'm talking to anybody except you, I'm going to say it counts. But I know you were at that game, and I know the jersey number you picked had a lot to do with Johan. So just give us a little uh, yeah. look into that. So, first off, I wasn't, I wasn't at the game. I was, I was home. But that date, June 1st, is my birthday when he threw the no-hitter. So it was my 12th birthday. And when you're a 12-year-old boy, the, all you care about is baseball, waking up, eating, and making sure that your mom's not mad at you. And <laughs> let me tell you something. It was just in it, that, that, like that day, like, yes, in today's game, is that not a no-hitter? Absolutely. Did it kind of hurt Johan Santana's career? Maybe a little bit. But um, I got to tell you, like, like that day was 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 truthfully awesome. And in the record books, it counts. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody says. Like men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And <laughs> in the record books, it counts. But yeah, I mean, Johan 5'7 was available. And I still have, I mean, as you can see right here, I have it right here. It's my gamer. And it's a Johan Santana model. With, without the two-piece web. And, I mean, I had the Johan Santana gold glove, like the, the, the one that and I used it until it broke because when the Mets signed him back then, the Mets never made a big free agent sign. And the Mets signed him from the Twins. The guy was elite. And then he comes to the Mets and he's awesome. He's this stud. And I was there like, all right, like this guy's incredible. And I was left-handed and, you know, 5'7", I was there like, you know what? Like I got a good changeup. Johan had a good one. And, why not? You know, why not be number 57? And uh, hopefully I want that number to be on me for a long time because it's uh, it's got a little bit of a story behind it. But I mean, you know me, as soon as I get a number, I don't I'm not I'm not a fan of like like once I get an I don't want to switch it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know throughout your college career, it was always home now four or five. So now that you got the <laughs> now, now that you got the five, me, seven on your back. If 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 57 is taken in another level. 45 is always that's my number you know what I mean like it's it that's that's number one forever but uh you know 57 if 45 is taken and 57 is available it, it's going to be 57 from now on yeah that's awesome it's always funny to me a little bit how how the jersey number ends up becoming such an important part part of uh, our identity as an athlete and uh, yeah um, really does what comes to mind quickly when you when you're showing us your glove there is that it doesn't surprise me one bit that your glove is right next to you while we're while we're doing this call here. But um, <laughs> for some for some context, Fitzy Fitzy's got to be the biggest glove guy I've ever met, and I've been in this game for a while now. And uh, so I would yeah. love it if you shared the story about when um, Ben Wareski came in to play with us after transferring from Columbia. And you decided to try his try his gamer on in the locker room one day, and you put it back in the wrong spot. Oh my gosh, man! So, 
it's such a bad habit and I'm going to get roasted in the comments for this and that's okay. But I just, I love gloves. I've always loved gloves. I mean, like I spent like two hours freaking customizing this thing to make it absolutely perfect. And as you can see, perfectly broken in, it's pristinely cleaned. It's everything's perfect about it. Nothing, nothing, nothing to, you can't find a flaw in this glove. Perfectly broken on the V notch. Everything's great. Right. So Ben Rareski is, is very particular about his gloves and you know, our locker room was cool. And also I was like, we were best friends. Like all of us on the team were best friends. So it's like, Oh, Fitzy tried on my glove, like whatever, you know, I don't just like go randomly putting on people's gloves in the Brewers locker room. I don't, I don't know anybody like that. First off, not many of them speak the same language as I do. So if they were to get mad at me, I, I wouldn't really understand what they were saying. It's just because I don't, I don't speak Spanish, but you know, they, I don't think they would like it very much, but you know, Ben Wereski, great guy. He's got three gloves, right? And I remember it. It was this tan Rawlings Pro Preferred that he got customized, said Moreski on it. And, you know, I don't know Ben very well. And um, I just take it off this locker. I put it on, pound it a couple of times, put it back up there. I'm like, that's a nice glove. And uh, Ben comes up to me and he's like the most mellow guy ever, like does not like confrontation, comes right up to me and he goes, I heard you, I heard you like trying on gloves. And uh, I go, yeah, I, you know, it's a habit of mine. And he goes, did you try on mine? And I go, I go, yeah, I did. He goes, can you please refrain from doing that again? And, and he just said it so nice. And I was like, you know, what? I feel like an absolute jerk right now that I even touched his glove. And all I did was touch his glove. But I'm not, I'm not I, like, I just feel horrible. And I know it's, I know that it's just like a, you can't, you can't do it in baseball and it's like an unwritten rule. But at the same time, man, if you, if you, if you have a passion about it, like I have no issue with anybody trying on my glove. It's definitely an interesting part of baseball about how you're just not supposed to touch somebody else's glove, especially, and it gets difficult as a pitcher when you don't have all the bats and batting gloves and Evo shields that the rest of these hitters do. Yeah, that's like, all you got. All we got. Right. That's, that's all, we, all got. we got. And we make well, them as sick as we can. Field. And then we show up to the field with cleats and, and this, this yep. is it. And that's I mean, we we, that's the, that's the only piece of equipment we got. We spend a ton of time customizing them and making them as sick as we can. And then, you know, we fall in love with them and we're not allowed to share them. So I, uh, I certainly never understood that little, that little intricacy of the game, but I mean, I guess, I guess it's just one of those rules you have to abide by whether you like it or not. Uh huh. Exactly. So, so Fitzy, now that we're now that we're kind of going in that vein anyway, right? There's a couple of things off the field wise that I want to talk about here. You touched on your love, your love for golf earlier. And I know I know Bobby Fairways has been a huge influence oh, to God. you guys and those guys on that on that show. And uh, so I want to hear about about your takes on Bobby Fairways, But I also want you to touch on uh, the relationship that you've developed with the uh, with the Dunkin Donuts and the Starbucks and the Chick-fil-A drive through attendance. And uh, so, I know that's been a big series on your social media and everybody loves it. So, so let everybody know what, uh, what that's all about. Well, Eric, when we first really got into golf, it was like right around the COVID year and um, you know, everybody was just getting into golf and like we were on TikTok all the time and we saw this guy brilliantly dumb. And it was like you, me and Kyle Gerace were like crazy about golf. And then we just started watching this guy and where they're like, you know, Bobby fairways is freaking hysterical. Like, He's exactly like us. Like we, all we do is just go out there. We have a good time. We don't care if we shoot him great or shoot him horrible. Like we're just out there having a good time. And then, you know, they developed into this huge brand of Bob does sports and 
now I can't go a week without Thursday at one at one o'clock Eastern watching watching Bobby Fairways and Giuseppe D and and Fat Perez and all those guys and they're truly hysterical and you know it it's kind of like a bonding topic in the golf world now because these guys are just so freaking funny and they have a real following but uh, we kind of got into that at the same time and like we were there like hey hey did you see you see Bobby Fairways is uh, TikTok today and it was like him doing something outrageous at like a Chick-fil-A or something. And it was just hysterical. And he still is. He, he's just such a funny guy and him and, and, and cuts, he's hilarious. And the, and the blow ups and, and all that stuff. And that's kind of like, that kind of just helped get into golf and, and really love it. But about the, the Dunkin' Donuts and, and the Starbucks and all that stuff, like, I don't know, like, it's just something that I just started doing because we, um, <laughs> I mean, we, we, I, I, at Rutgers, we had the Dunkin' Donuts guy. His name was Idris. And it's, it's, you know, like he's just such a nice guy. And like I just started taking videos with him. And I was just sort of like, Idris, like, how you doing? Like, and then started, ta- started talking about his son. His son's in pharmaceuticals. And, you know, I saw him this weekend. His son's still finishing his pharmaceuticals thing. And he's doing well. He's got a goatee now, doesn't wear the mask all the time. And he works 12 hour days. I mean, they're like, this guy's just awesome. Like, I just love this guy. And, you know, I always take my morning video with Idris. And now in Arizona, you know, my big thing is I always greet him with a good morning, tell him my order, tell him that I need it with light ice because I I can't stand a heavy ice in my iced coffee. And then I always tell him what I'm listening to on the radio. So I'll be like, I'm listening to major major distribution by Drake. And then I'll just say bye. And then I'll just try (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'll just drive up to them. And then they like, it creates a great, it, it creates a great atmosphere and it kind of chuckles them up, makes them laugh. And it's you know, like, because I've worked at drive through dude. I used to work at Chick-fil-A. It can get very, very monotonous. So when you get someone that puts a smile on your face every once in a while, you know, it's not the worst thing. Yeah, no doubt. It's definitely good to throw some personality at those people. And like like you're saying here, right, the the energy in the dugout that we talked about at the top of the show doesn't change whether you're whether you're in the dugout rooting your boys on or you're just going through the drive through yeah. at Duncan. So exactly. I mean, um, just from my piece, right, I just remember when Bobby Fairways first dropped like everything we did, like, oh, you hit 300 feet long toss in today could be the difference. <laughs> PR, yeah. PR'd on your deadlift could be the difference. Right. And then. Yeah. My, my or be favorite. like, or we always we'd always go like, hey, look at this guy. We'd always take videos and we'd imitate him. Look at this guy, you know the the Tom's River native Jared Bellissimo coming into his lift, and we just imitate him and just say the most outrageous things. Or it's like in COVID when we were when I when I was living in the hotel because everybody got freaking COVID on our team, it would be like I'd go through the Chick Fil A draft and be like look at the men and women in red, just giving everything they got at the drive-thru line. And I'd imitate them. And it's just, they're like, he's just a funny guy. And we'd always, we'd always have that banter about us. Yeah. He was the best. He was the best. And he still is. It's awesome to follow along, especially during that COVID situation. Just having something to smile about was, was awesome. Yeah. And and those guys have blown up, man. Like, you know, starting out this podcast here, I hope I can, I can find a way to reach the heights that those guys have. So let me tell you, uh, it's, unbelievable and they're just they're just like normal guys like it's like they just they just go they play their golf and then they they film it and they do some and it's never like it's so organic and it's so natural like just like they're talking like without cameras there and it's it's awesome it's really awesome 
yeah, it's fun to it's fun to see the banter that they have and then and how how much like I think that's the thing. You see a lot of these content creators and you're like, those don't seem like real people. And then you watch Bobby Fairways and Joey Coldcuts get after it, and you're like, these guys are just going out on the golf course, and it sounds exactly like how we would chirp each other when we're out there. So it's awesome to be mm-hmm. able to relate to those guys. And then the 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 part that always sticks out to me, man, about the uh, about the drive through antics is same period back in that COVID time frame when we were throwing those live innings where you're pulling away from Idris after you just gave him the, the runaround and you got a little excited and hit the gas before we got our drink. So we got to give a little context to the people at home. So people at home, we, we would do these live innings in COVID when uh, when there was no baseball around and we would just go around trying to find these high schools that would allow us to play. It was, it was, it was awesome. It was a great time. We had so much fun doing it, but we'd be like, all right, like <laughs> Eric would be in charge. We'd be like, all right, 10 AM, you know, let's meet at the field. And then, you know, it was just me and E were just hanging out because we, uh, we, you know, we, we, we were around each other all the time. So it didn't really matter about quarantine or anything. And uh, we're hanging out, we're hanging out, just enjoying ourselves. And then we texted in the morning. They're like, yeah, we're not making 10 AM. We're going to have to push it back <laughs> to 11. So I'm a little bit cloud. I'm a little bit cloudy to begin with in the morning, and we we pull around. We pull around to Duncan. We get our coffees, and you know I'm still a little bit out of it. You know we pay for it. We we get our things back, and I just start pulling away. In the Big Easy hits hits me with one of the most classic Eric lines of all time. Just goes, Fitzy, we can't leave yet. We don't have our drinks. And I go, you know what? You're absolutely right. So I I put the car in reverse. I back up. And I look to the person behind me like this. Sorry. Didn't mean to, didn't mean to disturb you there. Just gotta, you know, get my beverages because I'm a buffoon and forgot my, my coffee. So that, that, that COVID year though was a blast. And I kind of want you to speak about a little bit too, because it was both of us. We, we, we had at least 15 power five guys there. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, first things first, I don't know how many people can say they've thrown it in reverse in a drive-through. So you got, yeah, I mean, you got that going for you, if nothing else. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'll, anybody who wants to listen to me on the subject, I'll let them know that those COVID innings had to be the best baseball going on in the Northeast, if not in the country, during the during the COVID quarantine period. Mm-hmm. We had we would have consistently have enough where if we wanted to, we could have just played two full teams and played nine inning games, showing up at high school fields that were unlocked yeah. or that no you know no one was in the parking lot. Looks like we can go there. We had guys from yeah. Penn State, Rutgers, Seton Hall, Lafayette, Binghamton, D2 guys, D3 guys. You know, you got got the Auburn, 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 Duke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, you get you get up there and it's yeah, it might be 11 o'clock on a on a Maryland Sunday morning. Was another one. Maryland. Right. Like, I mean, the yeah. more we rack our brains, like you're, yeah. you're showing up. Nobody's got anything going on. Baseball's shut down. Everything is shut down. The world's in quarantine and it's 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And Adam Boucher gets up in the first inning and he's throwing 97 miles an hour. Right. Yeah. And then, and then you got Jacob Newman's going up there and ripping 94 mile an hour heaters by guys. And while he's, you know, when yeah. he's pitching at Fairleigh Dickinson, and then you got guys from all over the country at the top of their game, just getting after it. You know, the, the pitchers threw for as many innings as they wanted to get in that day. And the hitters were getting loaded up on their ABs. And there was a guy behind the plate geared up catching bullpens and getting his ABs. in. so it was, it just like the coolest thing, talk about how organically Bobby Fairways runs. Like it wasn't like we had a plan or anything. Like someone set up a group chat one day. No, we just showed we up. We hopped in it and 
and it was like, Hey, my buddy from school wants to come. Can I bring him? And we were like, hell yeah, dude. Like there's a couple of days. We got like 30, 35 guys there getting their <laughs> yeah. in and, and getting their swings. And it was, it's just, it was like one of the most incredible things to see, not to get too philosophical about it, but just to see how baseball was able to bring everybody together, even during those, the worst circumstances we've been through. Oh yeah. And I mean, I still, I mean, I still say it to this day, like that was still probably one of the most fun stretch fun stretches I've had playing ball I think ever because it was just like we were all we were all buddies no one cared if you did bad but everyone was trying to do well and it was it was like when when we were like we would stand behind home plate behind a net like 30 guys behind this little net which probably wasn't the safest idea but we would just stand behind there and we'd just be chirping whoever was out in live ABs and it would be like the most fun thing ever. And like, if someone wanted to get GBs at the end of it, like they would either go out there and play balls live or they would just, we would just, I don't care. We got nothing going on. Like we don't have to go anywhere. Like we, we don't have any appointments. It's like, all right, like you want me to stay here for another hour and a half and just hit pepper ground balls at you? Like, sure. I'll do that. And it was just so much fun. And I, I, I think about it all the time and like, that was just great baseball. And it was so organic. Like it was, it was no, no coaches were around. There was no cameras. There was no, there was no anything other than like, it was like, it was like pickup baseball, the way you play pickup basketball with your buddies. It was like pickup baseball, but with like crazy talent. Yeah. I mean, it was really like, it was really like we were playing, like we're in the sandlot, dude. Like it, it was yeah, that same truthful. vibe. Like we just, we just went out to the field and it was like, all right, like who's pitching it's like well whoever's ready first can hop up on the mound first and yeah. we'll just go from there whoever's ready next call next the same way you're like you're saying we just pick up and play on a basketball court so and the that i i have to i have to mention it for the podcast because i know danny reardon hasn't been mentioned yet but this is probably the most all-time baseball chirp i think i've ever heard so for those of you that don't know but most of you do who are listening danny reardon picks his battles very wisely and, uh, you know, he's a quiet guy, but he can throw a zinger in there that will leave you thinking probably for the next three days. And one of our good friends, Andrew Tan, was was <laughs> was playing. And it was, I think, the pitcher from, it was Lafayette. One of their, I think it was their Friday yeah, guy. Another, another warehouse like, guy, Kyle Subers, yeah. He, uh, <laughs> like Danny Reardon, Danny Reardon's on, on the radar gun. And Subers is throwing like 80, 86 to 89 got a great curveball, and he just like he just hops like three fastballs right by tan and then everybody's quiet because like we're not going to be like oh like good job like right when tan's there going by and then danny Re it's pitch quiet like you could hear a pin drop and danny Reardon just goes hey tan didn't know we were swinging the weighted bat tonight just ex <laughs> <laughs> like exactly like that and it was so perfectly executed of a chirp that like tan like had no idea how to respond he was like <laughs> like no idea how to respond and it was just one of the best baseball trips and that just kind of that just kind of sums up the vibe that we had going on there like it was so awesome like no one no one busted anybody's balls in a bad way it was just such a such a great time yeah it was awesome i mean yeah, like you talk about Danny Reardon will say a line that leaves you thinking for three days. This one's got us thinking for three years back on those COVID innings. So more, 
<laughs> more power to Danny. Props exactly. to him for dropping an all timer like that. But yeah, as you said, man, it was it was incredible, yeah. or it is incredible now to look back on it and just see the talent we were able to compile just by putting each other in a group chat. But it was also it's it was awesome in the moment to just yeah. be able to play ball, no pressure, no expectations. Nobody's trying to prove anything. We're just going out here because we got nothing better to do during COVID. Yeah, we loved the game. Yeah, we were itching to get back and all this like high level stuff. But realistically, it was like, guys, let's go to the field and let's have some fun doing doing the thing that we love to do. So it was it was an awesome setup for us. And it was it was a ton of fun. And it was all love for those guys. And and uh, and a bunch of them are still out are still out uh, getting after it now. Oh, I, I, was, I was one of the older guys there. So I, obviously I, I'm on this side of the fence now. But but uh, a lot of those guys are still out there getting after it. So it's awesome. Awesome to think back on those days. So Fitzy, I got one more question for you. We've had a lot of talk throughout the podcast um, so far in these first couple episodes about just the impact of our support systems, the impact of our parents and what, what they've meant to us in our journey. So I sure. want you to, I want you to touch on, touch on here, the, how awesome it's been. I know playing with you in college, your parents were always at the games, whether they were on, on the road or at home, your, your dad's a legend. Your mom is a legend. Even this year, going back to, to watch you play, even while you were injured, they were always there in the stands and, uh, Definitely, yeah. definitely super welcoming to me, giving me, you know, giving me someone to, to hang out with and sit with during the games while uh, while I came to watch you boys play. So what what role have they played? What impact have they had on your on your baseball journey and on your life so far? Oh, yeah. I mean, my my mom and my dad are, are you know, truly just amazing people. And, uh, you know, my dad, what I what I appreciate most looking back on it. He never once, you know, told me something I couldn't do. You know what I mean? He never, he never once, like, he wouldn't push me the way that he did if he didn't believe I could do it. And that's like really, like, look, like that's really hard to do, especially as a dad, to not like, you know, blow smoke up up my rear end and say I could do all these things. And like, he, I mean, he even told me one time, I'll try and take you to different pitching coaches so that you start throwing the ball harder. Like, you got to start moving better. And I did it without, without a weight room. And I just went to this different guy who really taught me how to get to my lower half and really taught me how to get my, my arm path correct. And like that, like, like things like that, where it's like the, the, the willingness to, to do anything for me as his, as, as his child. And he really did it for all of us, all four of my sisters as well. It's just, it's truly, truly remarkable. And uh, I could not be more grateful and all I want to do is just like, I mean, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like, I just want to give it all back. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I want to, I, I want to, I want to do as much as I can now. And I just want to, I want to give it all back. Like I, I promised my mom when I was like a five-year-old that like we were in Disney world and there was this big crystal castle of the Disney castle. And I said, mom, if I ever make it to the major leagues, like I want to buy you that. Like I, and like, I just said, as a five-year-old and now to this day, like I still want to do that stuff because it's just, the impact that, you know, my mom had, you know, my mom was always on my rear end in school and everything. And I'd be like, sometimes I just wanted to be like, you know, like mom enough. But at the same time, it was just like, that helped me so much. Like I, I took, I took eight SATs and ACTs and because my scores weren't good enough and she just kept making me take SATs and ACTs and it was awesome, but it really trickles down to my, to my whole family, you know, like, my, my mom, my dad, all my sisters, like they've all just had such a great impact, you know, throughout my childhood and throughout my sports career. And uh, I, I just want to give it all back now as, as, a, as a semi grown up, but uh, I still have, um, you know, a little bit of growing up to do. 
in the sense of, you know, being on my own and getting to where I want to go. So uh, it's, uh, it's truly, they, they've, they've meant the world to me, you know, from a very young age and they're, they're just, they're just, you know, they're, they're my biggest cheerleaders and I love them for that. Yeah, that's, uh, it's awesome, man, that you're able to provide yeah. that perspective. I think, I think, especially as it applies to athletics, we live in such a world today where most of the motivating factors we hear about are like how the haters provide the motivation. And I've always thought that that was kind of backwards. And to hear your perspective there and to just say, listen, like you're the fire in your belly comes from wanting to give back to the people that have been in your corner, to the people that mm-hmm. have supported you. And right. Like what, what we've all heard and that and that, but that goes to everybody that goes to all my friends that goes, that goes to everybody, you know, that goes to everybody that's been a piece of this journey. You just want to give it back to them for, for what they've provided for you. Yeah, there's no doubt, right? Like the saying goes, it takes a village to 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 raise a person. So it, it yeah. certainly it certainly isn't lost. It's it's awesome to see that it's not lost on you. That 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 truly applies. That it, there's a lot of people in your corner. There's a lot of pieces to to every ball player's support system that help them achieve however high a goal it is that they have their sights set on. So it's it's awesome to hear that perspective about. Uh, the importance of of proving the people who are with you right instead of getting so bogged down and trying to prove people who are against you wrong. I think that's something that's really important. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, hey, Fitzy, before we go here, um, let the people know how to get at you on social media. Anything you want to share, any way people can reach you or find you or give you a follow, let them know. Sure, absolutely. So my, my Instagram handle is big underscore underscore Fitz 45. Um, that's my Twitter handle as well. And that is also my TikTok handle. Um, so you guys can reach me there and, uh, I, I really appreciate you having me on big easy and, uh, I'm definitely going to see you soon, but, um, it was, uh, it was awesome. This is, this is really a great thing that you're doing here and I love it. Thanks, man. I appreciate the love and please give, uh, give my best to mama and papa fits out there. But yeah, man, it's been it's been awesome. I really Absolutely. appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me, and and I look forward to your continued success, man. I'm sure we'll talk soon, but I can't wait to see you continue to rehab and get healthy, and then get back on the field and keep balling out. So, uh, thanks again, man. And absolutely, uh, Biggie. For the Green Grass and White Bases podcast, I'm your host Eric Reardon. For Brian Fitzpatrick, we're signing off. One, two, three strikes, you're out at the old.